Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The Adam Shine Podcast. Oh, yes. Episode 46 of the Adam Shine Podcast. And we are thrilled to be back with you. Our guest today is the absolute best in the business. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame via the Dick McCann Award in 2019. You hear him on our radio show on Shine on Sports all the time. NFL writer and columnist Sam Farmer who was in Tampa, had a great sit-down with Bruce Arians. He's been covering the NFL forever. He had a great interview with Jared Goff after he was traded. So we'll talk to him about the Super Bowl, about Stafford, about Goff, about the L.A. Super Bowl. Sam Farmer is the absolute best, and you are absolutely going to love the interview that we have with Sam Farmer, the featured guest on the Adam Shine podcast. And listen, I thought this Super Bowl was going to be a classic. It was sheer destruction. Let's make sure that we're crystal clear, okay? The Kansas City Chiefs got their derrieres kicked. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady destroyed Kansas City. Super Bowl number seven for Brady. Lombardi Trophy number seven. Fifth Super Bowl MVP. Behind a rock-solid offensive line, 201 yards, three touchdowns, rightly the MVP. He now has more Lombardi trophies than the Patriots, more Lombardi trophies than the Pittsburgh Steelers. And the conversation is now over in terms of the GOATs and the best athlete in sports. When I say athlete, I'm talking about, you know, not like Bo Jackson and physique. I'm talking about performance and domination and he's the ultimate winner I mean I've always had Michael Jordan and Tom Brady in terms of the rarefied air and you know this to me what he did this year the most impressive of them all I mean you got to remember he did this in the middle of a pandemic there was no off season I mean he did not have mini camp And we're talking about a new offense, a new head coach, a new playbook for the first time in his legendary career. And the ability to do this in a season where he struggled mightily at the beginning, got to jog the mental Rolodex. You know, this was not a 13-win juggernaut. He was a wild card team. After that bye week, they just caught fire. They beat the the Washington football team, which you knew was going to happen. But then they beat the Saints, the Packers, and the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, Tom Brady beat Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, and Patrick Mahomes. I mean, this was next-level genius. Changes the whole conversation on, on the greatest winner of all time. You already knew that he was the GOAT. Tom Brady is your GOAT's GOAT. He is number one. There is no number two. And he is just on a different level. And he won't ever take the bait on... You know, his favorite Lombardi, but this to me, all things considered, doing this in a pandemic, in a new situation, you know, making everyone accountable, raising everyone's game in the postseason, vintage Tom Brady. I thought that the most valuable person of Super Bowl Sunday was Todd Bowles. Kansas City didn't score a touchdown. I mean, this was a historic defensive performance. The pass rush was amazing. 
The front four was outstanding. Shaq Barrett was awesome. And Dominican Sue, Vita Vea, JPP. My guy, Levante David, all over Travis Kelsey. Devin White, you know, I voted him first team all pro. He's a star. That defense was just amazing. And it was dominant. And it was unpredictable, especially when you consider how Kansas City just torched them. I mean, Tyreek Hill at 269 yards in the regular season in Week 12 and these teams got together. And let's also call it like it is. Chiefs were were awful. Too many penalties. Offensive line was dreadful. And we knew that was going to be a huge factor. You know, we just thought Mahomes would have vintage Patty Magic, and it wasn't the case. I mean, Mike Remmers looked like a turnstile at the subway in in New York City. Same Mike Remmers who got destroyed in Super Bowl 50 and turned Von Miller into a, a Super Bowl MVP. They missed Eric Fisher. They missed Mitchell Schwartz, Mahomes. I mean, even when he had a couple of those great scrambles at a time for Patty Magic, I mean, he hit a couple of receivers in the face and they dropped the football. This is the worst game of Patrick Mahomes' career. And a lot of it, it's all about the credit, first and foremost, to Tampa. Offensive line was terrible, but... Uh, Mahomes was sacked three times. He threw two interceptions, three of 12 on, three of 13 on third down. He dropped back and he just got rocked. He was pressured on 52% of his dropbacks. And, you know, I I was so disappointed in, in Kansas City, so impressed with, with Tampa Bay. Love Byron Leftwich. I've loved him forever. You know, Marshall, Jacksonville, he was a regular on on our radio show in 2004 when we first started at, at Sirius XM. Love him. Happy for Todd Bowles, Bruce Arians. Jason Light put this team together with Brady and then gave Brady whatever he wanted in terms of Gronk and Antonio Brown and playoff Lenny. Leonard Fournette was outstanding in, in the Super Bowl and throughout this postseason run. They drafted Tristan Wirfs, who is remarkable, drafted Antoine Winfield after they drafted Wirfs. Winfield, I love when he flashed the deuces to, to Tyree Kill, you know, basically saying peace. This after Tyree Kill had those 269 aforementioned yards and did that somersault into the end zone and gave him that signal after a touchdown. So I loved all of it. I was stunned by the ebb and flow but I was so happy for Tampa Bay. Tom Brady, this was a whole nother level. And this is going to sting for Kansas City fans. It's not going to be easy getting back. You know, Patrick Mahomes, Ian Rapport broke the story. Going to need surgery on, on his turf toe, which is not a, a total surprise. You know, that was why I thought the Buffalo Bills could have won. I mean, heck, if you're a Bills fan or a Browns fan, you're saying, damn, we, we were that close and could have taken advantage of that offensive line, but most especially a beleaguered and injured Patrick Mahomes, who was phenomenal in that AFC title game. But listen, it's it's one that Tampa's never going to forget. First home Super Bowl, it goes to Tom Brady because, of course, it does. And I think the Bucs will be in position to get back to the postseason, win a division with turmoil, or at least questions with the Saints at the quarterback position. We'll see how it ultimately goes with Breeze. And obviously, you heard Sean Payton on the podcast last week. Jameis Winston, he loves him. I think that Payton can have him throw to the right team. You know, the Chiefs, listen, I mean, the Ravens, the the Colts, the Browns, my Buffalo Bills, I think, are going to be tremendous heck. You know, Mahomes talked about teams taking that that Tampa model and, you know, there's a book on them, how to defend them. 
you know, the Chargers with, with Bosa and Ingram and with Justin Herbert at the quarterback position. Don't sleep on them. So, you know, the Chiefs are still the Chiefs, but it's not going to be automatic that they're going to get back to this stage next year. So, listen, I, I was so into everything for the game. The game was disappointing in terms of how non-competitive it really was in, in the second half. Bob Stew, of course, is with me, our wonderful senior executive producer of Shine on Sports and the Adam Shine podcast. Bob, you loved Kansas City. I loved Kansas City. Give us your big takeaways from Super Bowl Sunday. I mean, who would have guessed the most controversial thing about the Super Bowl would be whether or not people like the weekend's halftime performance of the Jackie commercial, Adam. I mean, that seems to have the most buzz of anything after halftime. But, you know, I keep thinking about all the interviews we did last week on Shine on Sports, on Sirius X Hat, Mad Dog Sports Radio, and the two that stuck out to me, Demarcus Ware and Joe Thomas. I mean, you really hit home the injury to that Chiefs offensive line, especially Eric Fisher. Look, the Bucs, they were just unreal. And we even talked about it. If Tampa was going to win, that was the blueprint. The pass rush had to get the Mahomes, had to pressure them. And I, I just thought Todd Balls, Adam, his, his game plan was brilliant. I mean, he wasn't going to let Tyreek Hill beat him. He let his pass rush do all the work. It was really brilliant. And you mentioned it, Adam. The Chiefs just shot themselves in the foot over and over and over in the first half. Chris Jones, unnecessary roughness penalty. That got the Bucks out of a third and long. Uh, the Honey Badger interception, that was negated by a phantom hold. I mean, Honey Badger, he even got cold for defensive pass interference before the half. Tom Brady's pass almost killed the camera guy. It almost <laughs> hit somebody in the third row, and the officials threw the flag. That was crucial because it was another touchdown. How about McCall Hardman lining up offside? Oh. And the next thing you know, Gronk has his second touchdown of the half instead of it being a field goal. I mean, all those mistakes cued the blowout in my mind. Like, that was just the perfect storm with that game. And also, the Chiefs were too conservative. It gets lost in the shuffle because they got blown out and outplayed. How many times were they going to kick the field goal on fourth down? You've got to be more aggressive. The field goal to open the second half, I thought, Adam, I thought that was so deflating for the Chiefs. They didn't score the rest of the game. You're right. They score a touchdown coming out of the half. Maybe we've got a different football game. But, man, you said it, and a lot of people have said it on the show this week, nobody saw that coming. I mean, nobody saw the Tampa Bay Buccaneers blowing out the Chiefs. I just think, whenever, when I think of this Super Bowl, Adam, I'll think about Todd Bowles, and I'll just think about how nobody saw it coming. Like, we were just completely blindsided by this Super Bowl. Yeah, you're 100% right. And you're also right about what DeMarcus Ware and Joe Thomas said, and that's that's why we do those interviews and how we treat Super Bowl week. And... By the way, I, I hate people getting on the halftime show. You're right. I mean, <laughs> the, the weekend was fine. We were entertained at home, the Shine 5 watching it. And by the way, that the Shaggy commercial with the Cheetos and Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher, that was my favorite commercial. I mean, Shaggy was back in the, the <laughs> acting and singing the song. I mean, you know, Mila and, and Ashton were, were unbelievable. And when Shaggy said, first time that's ever worked, I mean, that, that was hilarious. <laughs> the Drake State Farm commercial yeah. was, was unbelievable. And the Jason Alexander <laughs> sweatshirt commercial, especially because you had to realize if you're a Seinfeld fan like me, you know, believe it or not, George is not home and the song that was playing. <laughs> those are my three favorite commercials, bar none, from Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, I think you nailed it there, Adam. And the whole thing with the halftime show is, too, 
It feels like people just think their life is about to be changed by watching the halftime show. That's not what it's for. It's there for entertainment. I thought The weekend did a great job. I love the Jason Alexander commercial. I mean, I thought it was brilliant. And that Shaggy commercial really brought me back. I mean, I've been singing that song now for Kick literally the head. past three days. Yeah, Kick great job head. by Shaggy. That was, a, that was a great commercial. Excellent, excellent job. Who knew that Shaggy was going to have a better Super Bowl Sunday than Patrick Mahomes? Sam Farmer is going to join us, the outstanding longtime NFL columnist and writer. He's the featured guest on the Out of Shine podcast, and he's coming up next. Hey everyone, this is former NFL linebacker and current SiriusXM NFL radio host, Kirk Morrison. And I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, Total Coverage. Each week, I'll be joined by some of the greatest minds in the game as we explore the hows and the whys behind the week's biggest results. Whether we're breaking down player techniques, game plans, or coaching philosophies, we'll explain the details that define our favorite performances. New episodes will be available every Tuesday on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, and Apple Podcasts. The featured guest this week on the Adam Shine podcast, I think he is the absolute best in the business. From the LA Times, the outstanding Hall of Fame writer, he was inducted into the Hall of Fame via the prestigious McCann Award in 2019. My guy from the LA Times, columnist and NFL writer, the great Sam Farmer. Sam, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for that kind introduction, Adam. It's great to hear your voice, and uh, I missed you. I missed seeing you, and and uh, missed seeing a lot of friends this season. So uh, it's nice to touch base. It really is, and you know, I always say, and I said to my producer Bob Stew as we were trying to come up with the perfect guest after the Super Bowl, I said, we we didn't have the Sam Farmer interview in person this year. Every year on Radio Row, that Monday, Tuesday, I always want Sam Farmer, see him in person. You know, for 15 straight years, we had that interview. So how about this? For year 16, we'll do it on the podcast after the Super Bowl. And listen, I, I, was, I was surprised by the ebb and flow of that game. Sheer destruction, Sam, by, by Tampa Bay. I wasn't necessarily surprised I picked the Chiefs in a close one. I wasn't surprised that Tampa won. I was stunned by the ebb and flow. Were you? Yeah, I thought if it was going to be a blowout, I would have said it was Kansas City. I I picked the I picked the Buccaneers to win uh, a close one, but uh, like you, I would not have been surprised had the Chiefs won a close one. And I thought there was an outside chance that that the Chiefs might just roll, but I didn't really consider the possibility that that uh, they wouldn't score a touchdown and they'd be held at nine points. And, and Patrick Mahomes, as good as he looked at times, acrobatic and, and the arm angles and all that stuff, uh, you know, you expect a guy like uh, Kelsey to come through or Tyree Kill to have a big explosive play or certainly looking at the first game between these, these teams, uh, it would be not really a predictive uh, of what we saw in the Super Bowl, but we've seen weird things before, and and, and the other thing about that is, you know, Andy Reid's record uh, off a of bye is mm-hmm. so good, and he has always has his team so prepared, and so that was uh, uh, that was surprising, but uh, how great for for Tampa and that area and Bruce Arians and I mean the Tom Brady. There are so many great angles. 
to that game and, and how it turned out. Um, you know, I, I stayed a little, uh, an extra day in Tampa and, uh, uh, to sort of get the, the feel of the city. And, and it is strange in the pandemic, you know, it, it felt like Super Bowl light, definitely. Um, but you, you could see just how excited people are and proud of the Buccaneers and, and excited for Bruce Arians. So it was fun, fun, and totally unusual, right? I mean, oh. never been in, in the city uh, where the home team uh, has won or the home team has even played in the Super Bowl. So uh, it was pretty cool. And, of course, if we were going to get that kind of history, it was going to be Tom Brady. I mean, and I remember saying that. Wouldn't it just be something if Tom Brady was the first and that team was was the first? And, you know, here's Tom Brady. And there were times this season, Sam, where, you know, he looked like a newbie to a, a roster and looked like he had a new head coach and a new coordinator and looked like he was 43 and looked like he didn't have an off season and had more Zoom meetings than, you know, preseason games. But my goodness, after that bye week, he was just absolutely sensational. Sam, you've covered the NFL for a long time, and you're not subject to hyperbole. How do you put in context Super Bowl number seven for Tom Brady? Uh you know, obviously, just the the storyline of coming in, and just like you said, I mean, he's had the benefit of being in the same system year after year, and he's had rotating pieces, but really the consistency uh, that very few players have had, uh, the, the luxury of that consistency. So to come into this situation, and, and you alluded to it, I mean, look how he was in the in the opener against the Saints. I mean, he really struggled at times, but when he hit that five-game stretch at the end of the season, I think that was as good of five games as he put together in his career, uh, the, that contiguous stretch. And then, um, you know, coming out of November when they lost three or four games, uh, and it's funny, you see these uh, – a lot of times that will galvanize a team, and a lot of championship teams have a bad November. I mean, look at those Giants teams yeah. where it looked like Tom Coughlin was going to get fired at Thanksgiving. <laughs> and uh, and they came on and beat the Patriots twice in the Super Bowl. That almost seems to, to uh, work to the benefit of these teams to have a lull right before that final push. And we certainly saw it with the Buccaneers. I mean, they – and just in talking to Bruce Arians, he said, we were just wiped out having a – by that late in the season, the week 13, we were exhausted. And uh, basically I told the guys, just take the whole week off. Take the week off and rest up because we're going to need to make a push. And they did. They made a historic push. It was really uh, stirring to see down the stretch how they played. Your piece in the LA Times, your interview with Bruce, the quotes that came from it, I – I just loved it, Sam. I, I read it twice. I I mean, you know what what a fan I am of, of your work. And I'm such a huge fan of Bruce Arians as well. And, you know, how he goes about his business and how he coaches. And, you know, from Pittsburgh to Indianapolis to Arizona and now in, in Tampa. What was that like? How was B.A. the day after he won that championship in Tampa? Well, you know, he, he was sort of exactly like you would hope that he would be. He was out in his front yard, uh, 
playing with his three grandkids. Uh, he has uh, Mills and Asher, who are, are young, uh, like one and a half and three. And then Briley, who is uh, 11, and she was throwing a football around. She could she could throw a football pretty well. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, Yeah. And, you know, he's pushing him in the swing, and people are driving by, and he's got the Kangol on. He's, he's instantly identifiable. And, um, you know, they're kind of doing triple takes uh, driving by. Like, wait, this is – and they live in the Bayshore area, this, this beautiful street, and beautiful house. Uh, but but uh, not overwhelming, you know, the house. And one of those cool streets where it's got the, the trees, the tree tunnel with the Spanish moss hanging down. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah, very uh, Floridian looking. And um, they had a, a sprinter van because Bruce's uh, daughter and son-in-law and their two sons, who I mentioned, uh, were heading back to Birmingham. So Bruce you know, is a proud grandfather and very involved grandfather. And so he was, uh, he was a little, got a little misty as the kids were leaving. Uh, this has been, uh, you know, he, uh, broke protocol and spent the night, the last night at the house. Mm. Uh, I love that. Like he I love that. He confessed. And, um, so we talked for a bit outside, then we w- retired to the living room and, and I uh, just chatted, and he's so relaxed. And, you know, Adam, when I got back to the uh, to my hotel, my head was swimming because I just thought, he just said so many interesting things, and now I have all this, uh, you know, an hour of tape to transcribe. And uh, so I wrote and wrote and wrote a pretty long story and filed it. And then I sort of sat bolt upright this morning in bed in Tampa, I said, wait a second. I left that out of the story. Oh, I left this out of the story too. Oh my gosh. And then I started thinking, I've got to write almost like table scraps and just get some of this stuff off the cutting room floor and put it out there because even in format of him, I'm saying stuff because he was just, you know, he talked about, Tom Brady and he thinks he's going to be staying around not just a year, but a while and talking about, um, you know, some of the, some of the COVID stuff and how a team employee came down with uh, uh, Gronkowski. He, the first day of camp came down in an elevator and the sign said one per elevator, you know, one person only. Right. And this, the doors opened and the, and the guy's standing there with the Gronkowski and Bruce just lost it. And he's, <laughs> you know, you know, Bruce. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> he was like, he didn't hold back. And he said, you idiots, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, sanitize this, but you idiots, what are you doing? It says one. Last time I checked, it says one. There are two of you. What are you doing in the elevator together? And Gronkowski just looked at him and said, Nice to meet you, Coach. <laughs> he, had never, <laughs> he had never met him. But one, of the, awesome. one of the things I just started giggling as Bruce was talking, because he said, he said, you know, I mean, we didn't have the benefit of socializing. We couldn't eat dinners together. We couldn't hang out together. We had to sort of bond as a team. And then he said, Gronk, he said, I don't even think Gronk knows, the, knows some of the guys' names on the team. 
<laughs> you know that's <laughs> true that too. Funny. Yeah, that's that was amazing. so on brand for Gronkowski that he would, that he would not know some of the guys' names on the team. Uh, but that... uh, it was, but it, it was really a fun week. You know, I, I started off uh, doing a Clyde Christensen story, and and Clyde, who is the quarterbacks coach for the Buccaneers, he and Tom. Uh, every game we'll sit in the back of the bus together and sort of, um, you know, go through, just do a data dump on everything they thought about during the game and and uh, dissect the game, do a deep dive on it. Um, but Clyde is so popular among quarterbacks and so beloved, I kind of put out the bat signal that I wanted to get Clyde stories. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden Peyton called, Tom Brady called, Andrew Luck called, came out of the woodwork and called about him. That's amazing. And uh, they all had great Clyde Christensen stories. And like, uh, you know, Peyton said he, he, he's got this pizza place um, uh, in Indianapolis. And it's this sort of dive pizza place that, that Clyde uh, loved to go to. And He'll tell the guys on the team when he was when he was at the Colts, offensive coordinator. He'd say, you know, Coach Clyde is is paying for pizza today, uh, and he'd announce it. He'd say it in the third person, call himself Coach Clyde. And so Peyton Peyton said, yeah, it's, you know, he'd always go to this place. Well, then I talked to Clyde, and Clyde says that's not it at all. He said, yeah, I go to the place every Friday night, but every Friday night I show up at the place. And my cell phone would buzz. I looked down, it was Peyton. And Peyton would call and say, oh, you ate a, uh, I forget the name of the place, Andalucci's or something. He said, uh, "He said, uh, can you uh, pick me up a cheese pizza and drop it by my apartment? <laughs> That's <laughs> incredible. Like, you know, the opposite direction. Um, you know, from where I'm at at home, Peyton would say, come on, come on, just bring me a pizza. So every Friday night, he would bring him a, a cheese pizza. That's awesome. And uh, he said, of course, Peyton never paid and never tipped. <laughs> <laughs> so it was pretty funny. And another, another Clyde story that was funny, he said, uh, he said, you know, we Peyton said, we, we'd play golf, and if I missed a putt on 18, you know, uh, uh, he said, you know, Stokely was Stoke, Brandon Stokely was always Clyde's partner playing, and then Peyton would be playing with Dallas Clark or Jeff Saturday or one of those guys. And he said, "If I missed a putt on 18, Stokely would tell everybody in the building." And I'd get back, and as soon as I hit the weight room the next morning, everybody would know that I lost, and I gagged on 18. And then I told Clyde that, and he said, "No, no, no. I gotta. I hate to. I hate to call out a Hall of Famer, but." He said, what really happened is if Peyton won, Clyde said, you drive into the office and the guy at the gate would say, yeah, I heard Peyton gotcha. You know, I mean, from the start. <laughs> I believe Peyton that. He said, he said if, you, if you told one, if you deigned to tell one person in that building and Peyton heard about it, he'd say, what, you got you to gotta blab, do you? You beat me once and you got to blab. <laughs> That's it. Peyton would be so upset. So. Anyway, it was, it was cute. It was uh, those guys going back and forth, and and uh, Clyde Christensen has an amazing story. You know, born to a 15 year old mother, uh, put up for adoption, uh, eventually 
located his birth mother once his adoptive parents died, but he uh, he was Lawrence Taylor's roommate in college. He was uh, adopted by Billy Graham's family in North Carolina, essentially adopted as a college kid. Um, what an amazing guy Clyde Christensen is, and I actually got a call from him yesterday after the game just sort of to, you know, talk about talk about uh, how excited he was and how happy he was for Tom and for, for Bruce. Uh, it was a fun, really, uh, for being such a uh, a week where you're handcuffed. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It was really uh, fun to do some of those stories. Got a chance to have a dinner with Eddie DeBartolo when I was down there. Oh wow! And, How was that at his wife's restaurant? Oh, it was great. It was great. I've known him for a number of years, uh, and he. Uh, his wife has a restaurant called Sacred Pepper down there. Candy does, and uh, you know he's he's doing phenomenally well in the in the development business and mall development and everything, and and uh, spends part of his time in Tampa and part of his time on his uh, huge, I think, thirty five hundred acre ranch in Montana. So he's doing fine, but it was great to see him and. Great to reconnect with him down there. That's awesome. I love these stories. And the Clyde Christensen piece was was amazing in, in the L.A. Times. So, Sam, we get a, a team playing at home in the Super Bowl over the weekend. Could it happen again in, of all places, Los Angeles after the Matthew Stafford deal for the Rams? Boy, that would be uh... – quite a story, especially in light of the fact that Stafford's never won a playoff game uh, to go from zero to a hundred. But I do think, uh, you know, much as I like Jared Goff and, and, and much as I think that it's easy to dismiss what Jared Goff did, he was, uh, he was really did some good things, but I think Stafford is an upgrade. It'll be uh, really interesting to see how, uh, how he fits in with those receivers. And now that he has a running game, I mean, I think the Rams average 40 yards a game more on the ground than, than the Lions. They've got a running game. They've got a defense. And, you know, here's a guy who uh, still has some uh, fuel in the tank and has that tremendous arm and I think could be, a, you know, at his best as a top five quarterback. And so – um, that's really exciting. And, you know, the Rams have to have to think about quarterback, too, because they've got their own little competition going with the Chargers. And, Absolutely. You know, you, you look at Justin Herbert, he could take over this town the way he plays. And, and so the Rams have to have to keep pace. And so, uh, you know, it was it was pretty dramatic how it fell off with Jared Goff, and I think Jared Goff's even at a loss about how um, Sean McVay just um, sort of cooled on him. Um, it was very quick, and and Jared, I think, despite all the outside chatter, was kind of caught flat-footed. The Rams got rid of him. Um, and so, um, yeah, it's a, it's a big gamble, but, you know, a lot of you know, a lot of people make 
a big deal about the Rams dealing uh, dealing their their first round picks, and they haven't had a first round pick since they took Goff in 2016. Um, obviously, the Jalen Ramsey deal they they dealt two first round picks for that Jalen Ramsey, and and you know I think a Hall of Fame a Hall of Fame general manager hits on about 50 percent of his first round picks. Yeah, uh, typically, yeah. So and and I'm. And by hitting, I mean maybe it's a pro bowl player, maybe it's a good solid starter uh, that you get out of that. And so, if, if you know, I, say you dealt three or four first round picks, uh, I'll tell you, I would take, I would give up two solid starters, maybe two pro bowlers, to find a franchise quarterback. So, so there's some logic in building a team like they do without uh, high draft picks. I mean, they got Cam Akers later. They got Cooper Cup. They got a lot of their, uh, you know, Samson Ekubon. They got, anyway, a number of, of good players later in the draft. So the cupboard isn't bare there. But, Not even uh, remotely. And I like Les Snead's strategy. Yeah. And he's he's talked to me about that on, on Sirius XM, on Channel Sports, on, on numerous occasions. And, I think Stafford is is a missing piece, and and I've always been a fan. And you know, I like the way you said it at his peak. You know, he's he's a top five quarterback. There, there's no question, and he can mm-hmm. be that guy under Sean McVay. I I love this deal. You know, you could tell McVay really lost confidence in Jared Goff. The commentary after the Niner game, and I remember what I said on the air. Goff mm-hmm. was a double agent. He just kept turning it over. It cost him that game depleted Niner team you know I I thought there was a period of time this year Sam that 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 Rams team could have been the Bucs and they beat the Bucs in in the regular season I I thought the Rams had a great opportunity to make a legit Super Bowl run you had that conversation with Jared Goff after the trade what was that conversation like and what's realistic to expect from Goff in Detroit yeah uh so uh, if I can roll back the tape a little bit to when uh, Goff and Wentz were the two candidates for that number one spot, uh, Gary Klein, who covers the Rams, went and did a feature on uh, to North Dakota and did a feature on uh, Carson Wentz. I went up to the Bay Area and did something on Jared Goff. I spent half the day with his dad at a firehouse um and it's fire. His dad's a firefighter. And then uh, half the day, I went to, up to the Goffs' house and watched the Warriors game with Jared and uh, and uh, Austin Murphy from Sports Illustrated. So the three of us watched the game, and he was tremendous. You know, he was he was. Uh, we didn't know he was going to the Rams. He kind of knew that he was, but and I think we got the hint uh, that he was probably going to be the Rams' number one pick, but. He was great, talked at length. Um, then for the five years he played for the Rams, uh, he was very buttoned down by the book, didn't say anything interesting, uh, and uh, was didn't reveal anything. Uh, so when I talked to him, um, this, and, and, you know, I think he got together and, and his dad, and they kind of figured – Hey, you know, we know Sam, we, we know him from that time coming up and he's maintained a 
contact and, and a relationship that I had with Jerry Goff that they said, we want to talk to Sam about this uh, to sort of give our side of the story. And I was a little bit leery because I thought he was going to be the Jerry Goff that I've seen for the last five years and just not really say anything. But when I got him on the phone and we talked for, I think, 36 minutes to be like Peter King. And <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, we talked for 36 minutes and 45 seconds. Uh, That's awesome. <laughs> so funny about that. Uh, so, but we, he was um, really, you know, sort of thoughtful in his answers. He was very honest. He was, he was poignant at times. You could tell that he was really sort of devastated by this. And, and he said, you know, my emotions are all over the map because after I spoke to the, to the Lions and heard how excited they were for me, I thought, this is how it's supposed to feel. And so, uh, you know, and implicit in that is he wasn't getting that feeling from the Rams. And, um, but, you know, I think he, if you just look at what he's done, um, He's won a lot of games. He's played mm-hmm. some really good games. I mean, mm-hmm. I think about that 54-51 game against the Chiefs, which was on Monday Night Football, and it was like a uh, phenomenal game. You think about the uh, performance against the Cowboys in the playoffs or um, the Saints in the playoffs. So he's had some good experiences. I mean, he was in the Super Bowl in his third year. But he wasn't the guy who could make the off-schedule play with any any sort of reliability. And he wasn't the guy that you could put the game on his shoulders and say, or you never said, you know, oh, the, you know, the Niners left too much time on the clock for golf. Um, that's that's a great way to phrase it, Sam. Yeah. He did occasionally, but um, it wasn't, certainly wasn't consistent enough. So uh, can he do that in Detroit? I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, you think about the history of, you know, Matt Stafford never won a playoff game there. Uh, and so just the, the difficulty of resurrecting or breathing life into one of those franchises is, is uh, pretty uh, monumental. But, again, I don't think he's a bust. I don't think he's a bad quarterback. I just don't think he's a top ten quarterback. I agree with that. And he certainly was getting and still is getting paid like it. Sam, final question yeah. for you. We've got a Super Bowl coming up in L.A. You know, it was kind of a running gag forever at the Super Bowl when, you know, the, you, would, you, you even know the question before I ask it. You know, you would always get that yeah. first question to Roger Goodell or you know, even Paul Tagliabue in terms of when yeah. are we get a team in Los Angeles, right? And now there's two and the Super Bowl's back, so... Sam, does this in any way, shape, or form feel surreal? What What is this going to be like in L.A.? Yeah, I mean, I think it really will feel surreal. Uh, and, and, you know, we haven't experienced a game with fans in the new stadium. And, and so that's going to be unprecedented. Uh, now, you know, the league's never had a Super Bowl uh, in the first year that fans have been in the stadium. They always like to break it in for at least one year. Uh, now they do have the benefit of two teams playing there. So they will get the equivalent of two seasons uh, in 16 regular season games. 
there. But, uh, you know, as I was pulling out of the stadium in Tampa and sort of wading through bumper-to-bumper traffic, uh, I started with, you know, 30% of the crowd there. I started to think, oh, my God. Oh, what's it going to be like in L.A. I mean, the gridlock. Uh, I love that that was your first thought. You you are Mr. L.A. I love that, Sam. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Traffic is my first thought. It's going to be super exciting. They're going to they're gonna have two nodes in L.A. where it will be. One of the centers of activity will be SoFi Stadium. And remember, NFL Media is headquartered there, so – it's going to be in the shadow of that. They're going to have the Performing Arts Center there. I think they're going to move. Uh, I think they're going to move NFL Honors to earlier in the week. Uh, so maybe like a Thursday night NFL Honors. That makes stretch sense. it out. That yeah. Be, yeah. Um, something we're going to see, and then and the other note is going to be um, uh, LA Live. And so uh, where the Staples Center is, and, and I think that's where the NFL hotel will be, the JW Marriott there. And those two areas are pretty far apart. They're probably only 10 miles apart, maybe, maybe even less, but it could take an hour to get there. So um, unlike Tampa, it's not like, oh, yeah, we're 20 miles away and it takes 20 minutes. Uh, but I just think that um, – L.A. is going to embrace it. You know, these smaller cities, I, I, I love, you know, when Indianapolis has a Super Bowl because everything is Super Bowl related. It's amazing. Yep. The, whole, yep. the whole town. New York, you couldn't tell. There was you had no idea. New so York was on. at the bottom of the barrel. Indianapolis, to me, will always be one of the best. I'm with you. Yeah, I, I agree. So it'll be very interesting to see how L.A., uh, factors in there, how they sort of spread the word around L.A., and, and also how they incorporate the entertainment industry and really harness that because that's that was a big allure to coming to L.A. But, again, lastly, I'd just say they didn't build SoFi Stadium for regular season games. They built it for big events like this, Super Bowls, Olympics, Final Fours. So um, – that's going to be a huge uh, – and you know what? That game could be the first normal major, major event in the, in the country. You know, if, yeah. if everyone's vaccinated, uh, if the pandemic is under control, uh, that could be a huge – have an incredible palliative effect for the country and a return to some degree of normalcy. At least I have that optimistic – hope but that could be sort of one of those um benchmark moments um you know as like wow we're back so i hope that's the case you're giving me the chills right there sam sam you are the best my friend these stories are incredible i love your opinions and Listen, I've been such a, a fan of, of your work for, for such a long time. I miss seeing you. I miss seeing you on that Monday or Tuesday radio row. Always I, mean, love I can having... say the same thing to you, buddy. I, I, I love your stuff, and I, I love hanging out with you, whether it's dinners at the Combine, seeing it at the Super Bowl, and dinners on me when you come to L.A., 
for Super Bowl 56. Oh, I love it. So, I, uh, I love it. Sam, I can't I wait. dinner's on me, I mean, dinner's on the L.A. Times. <laughs> I promise I will I will submit that and I will be reimbursed for that dinner. Uh, right. Sam, you are the best. My guy, the best right, in the yeah. business, Sam Farmer from the LA Times. Thank you for listening to another incredible episode of the Adam Shine Podcast. My guy, Sam Farmer. That was absolutely incredible. Bob Stew, sensational as always. Thanks to our listeners on SiriusXM On Demand, our listeners on Pandora. Thank you to our listeners on Apple Podcasts and with Stitcher. Please hit the subscribe button, leave a review, because you love the Adam Shine Podcast, and we love you. You can always catch me every weekday on my SiriusXM radio show, Shine on Sports, which airs from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on SiriusXM and on Sports Radio, Channel 82. Thank you for listening. Talk to you soon. This is the Adam Shine Podcast. Touchdown! For more from Adam Shine, listen to Shine on Sports on Mad Dog Sports Radio, 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Mad Dog Sports Radio, Channel 82. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.